Welcome to the 10th episode of season two of the CSA Fireside Chat. We have come a far way going across almost all regions of the Commonwealth. We're back in Asia and we are joined by leaders, student and youth leaders from Pakistan. I am Benjamin Fraser. I have the honor of serving the organization as its chairperson. And I'm going to invite my guests to introduce themselves, starting with Khadija. Hi, everyone. Myself, Khadija Shukur from Pakistan. I'm still uh, doing my bachelor's. I'm an undergraduate. This year, I'm going to graduate. I'm pursuing my degree in nutrition. So I have done so many nutrition campaigns, uh, held camps where we give awareness about nutrition. And I've been to different exchange groups where there's a society called Alif Se Insaf, where we get this, uh, uh, where we uh, spread across the world about uh, how how important it is, uh, the rule and regulation. And I've been a uh, general secretary of debating society of my own university uh, society. I've been doing MUNs and I've just uh, undergraduate uh, pursuing my things in different organizations. This is the one of the main organizations I've been part of. So this is a big achievement for me. Thank you. And um, importantly, Khadija was recently appointed yes. as one of the country representatives for Pakistan. Her colleague, Danish Tariq, is the other country rep. Uh, Kasim, so honored to be with you on this chat, sir. Go ahead. Thank you, Benjamin. Um, glad to be here. Hi, everyone. My name is Kasim Farasat, and I am from Pakistan, uh, currently residing in Canada. Um, and I'm the former Asian Regional Representative of the Commonwealth Youth Council. I've had the privilege to serve uh, to the council for four years, from 2018 to 2022. And lots of milestones achieved during that tenure. Um, working for the youth in the Asian region uh, of the Commonwealth. Uh, we were able to establish uh, the Youth Council's uh, Youth Participation Platform in the Commonwealth Asian region, uh, a region-wide youth body as the first initiative to unify the 700 million plus young people of the Asian region. Um, and we will have more discussion about our learnings and experience through that position. Um, I've had the privilege to work with the Commonwealth Students Association as well for a few different initiatives within the region and within the Commonwealth. Currently, I'm the co-founder of the Institute for Sustainable Development and Cooperation. Um, it is an organization that is working for the youth empowerment uh, we are currently focusing on establishing youth participation platforms that could allow them to uh, participate in policy and decision-making processes. You're based in Canada, um, but we are in an international organization and we are working with organizations within Canada and abroad. Thank you. But I, I just have to invite you to highlight that it was your, during your tenure Kasim, that Pakistan established its first youth council. I have that right. Yes, that's great. Yes, so, so a few years from now, you'll be celebrated in history books. That's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All Hopefully. right. Yes, and we're joined by Danish. Danish, I know you just got in, but we're just doing introductions. Do you want to introduce yourselves for our listeners? Yep, sure. Uh, first of all, hi, Benjamin. Hi, Khadija and hi, Kasim. Uh, it's good to be here. I'm sorry I'm late. So everyone, this is Danish. I'm the recently selected uh, country rep for the CSA. Apart from that, I'm working as the governing board member with Youth Advocacy Network and as the communication officer with Channel Development Association. I've been working in the development sector as the development practitioner for almost 10 years. And it's so good to be here. Okay, wonderful. So we're, we're going into the meat of the matter. Today, our discussion is about the role of higher education in combating violent extremism in Pakistan. The panelists are from Pakistan. I'm from Jamaica. 
I am going to be I'm going to be the student on this matter on behalf of all the listeners. So I'll be asking questions on your behalf to learn, as I am not versed on the issue other than what I've read. They have the lived experience of growing up in Pakistan, being Pakistani. So which one of you will describe for us Pakistan, telling us about the population, language, history, economy, and just life growing up in Pakistan? I think the young ones would have a better uh, evaluation of that because they're living, I mean, I'm, I'm living abroad right now. And then there is the current ones who are experiencing how, you know, the education is uh, is affecting the lives of uh, the young ones um, and how it's impacting the mindset. So, uh, Kadija, do you want to take it up and then Danish could pick up where you, where you leave? So you, you. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear you. So you want me to start, and then no, I suggested Khadija based on Khadija, what you yeah. said. I yes, Khadija. Yeah. Hi, uh, Pakistan. Basically, I wanted to introduce Pakistan. Our formal introduction. Pakistan, officially known as the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, is a sovereign nation located in South Asia, established on August 14, 1947, following the. Uh, partition of British India and Pakistan emerged as an independent state to address the aspiration of Muslims in the region. This is the country we have built for Muslims, basically, with a population of approximately 240 million right now. And Urdu is our official language. English is also in formal ways. The country boasts a rich uh, lapastry of linguistic and cultural diversity, including Pakistan, uh, including Punjabi, Sindhi, Pashto, and Balochi. So our capital is Islamabad, and living here means uh, interacting with different uh, diverse cultures all day. Basically, in, in my university, uh, it's a diverse uh, culture, all Pashtuns, Balochis. So it's it's not just uh, a less diverse country. It's basically enhanced as a, as a diverse city. Pakistan economic landscape is characterized by a blend of agriculture, manufacturing, and services sectors. Major crops here are wheat, rice, cotton, and and while industries such as textiles, which is a very important uh, uh, industry here in Pakistan, contribute significantly to the GDP. It is the realm of uh, uh, geopolitics. Pakistan plays a pivotal role participating in regional and global alliances. Despite its achievement, Pakistan grapples with issues such as terrorism, ethnic sectarian tensions, and uh, socioeconomic embarrasses. So in a summary, Pakistan journey since independence reflects a complex interplay of history, culture, and geopolitics, geopolitics shaping a nation with a distinctive identity and a significant role in a global community. So living in Pakistan, you interact with different uh, kind of uh, people, have an enriched culture. So it's for good living in Pakistan. Thank you, Khadija. That was apt Welcome. and succinct. But Follow me on this journey here. The media coverage of the issue we'll be discussing today gives a sense that Pakistan is unsafe. There, there are certain feelings that may come, but you know, I, I, I now follow Danish and I see the way he romanticizes Pakistan. I see the way you love Pakistan. It's your home. I want to hear from that personal perspective, Danish. Tell me about Pakistan, not just what the internet says or what I can read in a storybook. Uh, first of all, uh, I think Hadija has mentioned pretty comprehensively about the demographics and about the other things Pakistan has and mm -hmm. has to offer. Uh, coming up to your question, uh, I think Pakistan uh, is a feeling. Mm. Nobody from outside can feel it the way the people live here or visit here can feel that. Uh, I have seen many vloggers coming from different parts of the world and when they live here, they actually feel that what Pakistan has to offer. It is a peaceful country, but I believe that no country is free of any sort of hate or any sort of extremism. So Pakistan is a lovely country. The people are very peaceful, very hospitable here. 
uh, there are four weathers for Pakistan offers four weathers here and uh, the culture of uh, different sorts of uh, tastes, different sorts of uh, clothing are offered here. And uh, I don't think so um, that anything is like the how the media actually portrays anything like that is here because there are downsides downsides and downfalls of every country and we see in even in the western world that there are both sides of the coin which are in a country so uh, yeah, pakistan is a, a pretty peaceful country and people are lovely here indeed thank you thank you you know i i really the csfi side has a lot of potential you know it's young people telling stories in their own voice and language and i think we have the potential to rewrite narratives so much has been said about our countries that are considered part of the global south to make us seem sometimes it's dehumanizing the way how our countries are depicted. So using this platform to, to tell of what we think of our own home, I think is, is also part of the CSA's agenda to educate and to promote education. Yes. So now let's distill this issue of violent extremism. Define violent extremism. Kasim, can you take that up for us? Yeah, it's it's complex. I think it's uh, it involves different perspectives, right? Um, I mean, there is a there is a definition from like the cultures define it differently. Um, regions, countries. So in Pakistan, I think if you talk about violent extremism, it's been anything that, you know, impacts other people's lives. Mm. Be, uh, and I don't want to say it, but like acts of, you know, um, terrorism, uh, acts of, um, you know, um, uh, extremism so that, you know, it kills someone, it ends someone's life, it harms somebody. Um, so I think that's for me is like the definition that I've seen in Pakistan. Generally, I think from the world's perspective, it's, um, it's anything where you are imposing uh, your own culture, beliefs, uh, learning, experience onto someone else. This is how I uh, understand extremism. Yes. Um, it may sound like way too hard uh, to define extremism because, you know, that's that's pretty normal for us to do. This is how we develop ourselves. Like we have those conversations, argument, discussions. But I think there's a very fine line between, you know, um, or a very fine boundary between where you share your own experience, learning, beliefs, culture, uh, versus imposing your own beliefs, culture, uh, learning, and experience, right? Um, if, you, if you couple that with violence, it's like when you, you know, back it up with action. So if you and I have an argument and I impose my belief and culture on you, Yes. That's extremism. Yes. And yes. then if I, if I couple that with violence, you know, if I go in a fight with you or if I do any act that could physically harm you, mentally harm you, uh, then I feel that's like violence and extremism together. And I'll just go a little far on that because I've used a few examples where, you know, um, they might seem like, you know, acts of, like I've said, acts of terrorism. So I feel the the concept of educating people, you know, using higher education. When we say higher education, I mean, we are trying to achieve the objective of education, right? So we're saying like, we want to educate our young people by getting them to through the higher education. So what education does, right? Higher education, secondary, middle, whatever, like whatever category that is, like the objective of education for countering extremism, violence extremism, um, it opens up your mind, right? It opens up you, it opens you up towards listening and understanding other people's perspective. Uh, you know, having that acceptance that, 
you know, maybe you have a different way of, you know, enjoying yourself, having a different way of, um, you know, having different religious beliefs, practicing, uh, you know, different cultures that you have in your country. And me having to accept that. Uh, sure, I can have my own perspective. I can have my own ways and my own culture. But that doesn't mean that I have to impose that onto you. So I feel when we talk about education, what that does is that it gives you acceptance. Uh, it allows you to, you know, um, allow others to live their own life, basically, right? Um, we'll expand more on it, of course. Uh, but this is how I define in a very basic understanding, very basic through my experience. I mean, I'm not going for the textbook definition here that what extremism is, how it becomes violent uh, and how education can, you know, play a role in countering and combating all of that. Yes, yes. And, you know, I would like to expand on this yep. because I appreciate one how you've simplified it and the way that you have di distinguished the motive behind the act versus the act itself. Because when I look at my country, which has one of the highest homicide rates in the world, mm. um, somewhere like, like 53 per 100,000. Mm. In Pakistan, I'm seeing in 2021, it's four per 100,000. Mm. So in terms of murder, Jamaica is way more on the scale than Pakistan. But I don't hear the word, the, the phrase violent extremism being used in my country. Mm. When I look at mass shootings in America, literally going into high schools, mm. primary schools, and slaughtering, the media doesn't cover it as violent extremism, which I think in itself is complex. Mm. But, but, but the, what, what our listeners should get from your explanation, Kasim, is it becomes violent extremism when we attach some sort of persuasion yeah. we're, we're imposing a viewpoint a belief and we're doing it we're, we're using violence to achieve that purpose yeah yep. no that's what it, that's what i exactly mean yes. and this is what i've experienced uh, I've, I've lived in the west for a long time and i think the difference where you know we like how you explain that you know there are there is crime there are acts where you know we are um going into uh, or we are like impacting other people's life but it's not called extremism yes. because it is not coupled with um, the, the the fact that you know it's there's uh, there's there are more like emotions involved to impose yourself onto others right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what makes it really hard and complex mm -hmm. and I feel that's a lot because of I mean if we talk about um, the countries in the east, the culture is really strong there, right? So uh, I think that's another difference that I've realized uh, in comparison to the west. Um, that but, but do, that do you find? Yeah. Do, do you find Kasim that it is so easier for the media to label acts in Pakistan as extremism because you're a Muslim nation and they have attached that sort of trait or character characteristic to the Muslim world. Yeah. You know, you know, the, the Hollywood has a way. Yeah. The media has a way. For Jamaicans, we are we're all Rastafarianism, Rastafarians. We yeah. all smoke marijuana. Yeah. Um if you're from Trinidad and Tobago, you're all you're all in Calypso. If yeah. you're from Fiji, all of you walk in you walk barefoot. That's the way they want to depict us. Yeah. So it's easier for them to say any act, even sometimes without properly investigating it, once yeah. it's located in a Muslim country, yeah, it's an act of extremism. Yeah. And, and I think that's how it's been for the last few, I would say, maybe a couple of decades, right? Um, so it's, I agree, like it's about the projection of a narrative and the narrative has been that, you know, there has been a lot of extremism and terrorism uh, and for example, in the Muslim countries or in the Eastern part of the world or in the developing countries, let's put it that way. 
uh, but you know it's it's really about the young people to change that narrative um and that's really what makes me excited um yes especially through my learning that i had working with the youth council that you know we have the power to change all the narratives um and we're we're observing that i think this recent conflict between uh you know palestinians and israel it's it's kind of opening up how people are perceiving compared to what you know how it's been projected by the media right yes so it has really changed the minds or has really educated people on the real issue and the problem and then has allowed them to make a decision who they want to support instead of the other way around where the media is projecting a narrative and you're just you know buying into it without really understanding you know what the problem is what the cause is um so when somebody imposes a banner or a brand onto somebody else um i feel it's really complex to i mean and, and i feel we should all stay away from it because the dynamics are really complex like for example when you talk about highest homicide rate in your country versus you know the extremism that is there in pakistan they both have like complex definitions behind it right it's not as easy as it looks that you know everyone is doing some specific act in one country no it's not like that uh, and that's where the young people come in that's where our power comes comes in uh, to change that narrative through you know initiatives such as yours uh through arguments to discussions through you know participation participating in platforms where we are able to speak up share our perspectives um so yeah i think that's that's the positive side of it uh and i'm really hopeful really really hopeful um that uh, you know our young people will will definitely change all of these ongoing you know um platforms mechanisms that are counter effective in promoting yes. peace and security Yes, yes. I'd like to hear from each of the panel members. Explain more in detail how religion and politics influence violent extremism. Danish. Yep. Thank you, Ben. Uh, firstly, Kasim has very clearly mentioned about the violent extremism. I just want to emphasize on few things. that why pakistan has been portrayed like that because uh, the religious sentiments are pretty strong here and i think uh, due to few uh, bad things or few violent things it has been associated with the religion and culture mm. that is why being the muslim country they actually associated that they are the root causes of violent extremism so this is the case that is why pakistan has been imaged like that and jamaica is not just the thing you mentioned so i think uh, violent extremism is just that you have a belief and you are just uh, stamping it to any other person who doesn't want to digest it or doesn't want to take it and you are using different methods and to just um, complete that goal accomplish that goal that could be uh, terrorism that could be through uh, bad politics that could be like uh, anything that goes beyond or that goes against the human nature and human willingness so that is it and uh, particularly about the religious thing i i know that uh, the religion has nothing to do with that it has only to do with the people religion has not, nothing to do with that we have seen the violent extremism cases in the western countries as well and they have been again portrayed and if somebody from the west western country western national is doing that then that has been associated with the bad mental health or something like that but not his or her religion but whenever there is any muslim or with a beard that is associated with only being muslim so i think uh, that is the thing that is why it's been only associated with the religion uh, although it has nothing to do with that okay thank you thank you adisha uh, do you have any comments on how religion and politics influence violent extremism uh, yeah as danish said we are muslim country and that's a very pivotal point when west do these things 
they just label it just like dani said as a mental health issue and as uh, pakistani or other muslim countries do it as terrorism or other things they just label it as something like terrorist terrorist attack and all this stuff so religious is a very uh, pivotal point here playing and other than that there is a two major things ethnic and sectarian tensions uh, pakistan is a ethnically and religiously diverse uh, country right tensions between different ethnic and sectarian groups have occasionally led to violence that's a main factor of violence here extremist ideologies exploiting these differences uh, differences can contribute to radicalization so this is a very uh, important point that uh, eth ethnic and sectarian tensions in uh, pakistan lead to these uh, extremist groups that's why these uh, acts of uh, terrorists are happening or people may uh, influenced by by these acts mm. so so far i've not heard anyone say anything about politics so should i take it then that politics is not really a variable in violent extremism in pakistan it is history and politics uh, are both hand by hand right historical events happening in pakistan including partition of british india in 1947 right have led uh, uh, have led left a lasting impact on the region just like political instability military coops and conflicts with neighboring india particularly over kashmir issue and have contributed to a complex socio political environment the uh, the history and our political context these are the major you can call, uh, call it root cause of terrorism somehow so this these are playing a very uh, significant role here mhm mm mhm mm mhm well um no, no permit me team i really i'm curious why 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 do things like bomb up public areas why not picket fence what do you think motivates that what why not um do something demonstrative but 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 less likely to take human lives what is the motivating factor behind that i can take that i can i can say something about it i i, I mean there it's like i said it's complex like it's uh, it's not very easily definable right mm -hmm. um, based on my personal learning and experience again this may not be the right answer for some um but i feel it's and one of the reasons is politics you know you mentioned politics so you know there are different political gains and then unfortunately in developing countries you could use people as you know, resources because it's easier to like money has an influence so it's easier to you know generate different kind of acts by financially funding them right um and humans are used as resources in you know um in 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 performing those acts uh while we've seen like weapons and you know other things that have been manufactured for promoting violence you know i feel like for developing countries humans are still unfortunately a resource that can generate violence through you know acts of suicide bombing or target killing and those kind of things so politics is one of course um then you know there are different uh, i mean there are political agendas there are agendas of different ethnicities there are agendas of different religions you know it, again the whole idea comes back to the same thing like no matter what you discuss no matter how much you stretch on it it comes to the same fact that you know when you're trying to overstep the boundary or you know go beyond your boundary and step into someone else's life imposing your own culture religion faith then that's where the problem comes in uh and then that's where you know everyone around you starts exploiting it so right now the four of us are having this conversation in a very peaceful way uh but the moment we go a little out, outside of our boundary right people around us will start exploiting it for their own personal gains Right. so that's a very simple example to explain so if they see an opportunity around you like whoever it is and like i said it does not necessarily mean that you know it's international partners who are trying to you know attack a specific country it could be people from the same country just having different political beliefs different ethnicities different religion um 
they see an opportunity and then they start creating that, you know, violence extremism. Um, the whole idea is that how do you counter that? How do you put a stop to it? You know, how do you brain, train your brain that you don't find these things productive or having any effectiveness uh, towards the differences that we have? And the only solution to that, and I really believe in it, is education. And that is the way forward. When you're educated, and the difference that we have in compared to another group is actually education. Uh, the fact that we're having this conversation in a peaceful manner is that, that we're all educated. You're giving us an opportunity because you're eager to learn and understand. And that's what you've learned from your education. And we are eager to share our experience without being very sensitive about it while you're asking us questions, difficult questions, is also because we are educated and, you know, we understand that, you know, this is how two people interact peacefully. Yep. Um, so I think the whole idea, the whole theme has to be that. And then there are different forms, different narratives, there are different agendas, motivations that could lead to violence extremism. So it's really hard to explain and define that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you give me a few chills there, Kasim, because you you hit the nail on the head. We We often see education as just being to create employees people who can go in an office or a factory line or go do some work or invention. But education helps us to coexist as humans. When we learn to appreciate the differences in one another, even just by being acclimated towards learning, having an appetite for learning, it, 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 it reduces the animosity. It, 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 it deflects against simple and unnecessary misunderstandings. So you are very right. And, and, and you know, it helps us answer the question, what is the role of higher education in combating violent extremism? Get more people in learning spaces. Get more people to appreciate and want knowledge and want to be a part of an education system where they grow and learn. Love it. So my next question, how has the government of Pakistan responded to the issue of violent extremism? You could, anyone on the panel, describe interventions, perhaps laws or programs to combat violent extremism? Uh, ben, before coming to this particular question, I just want to connect a dot with what Kasim has said and that sure. connected a dot with the higher education. Uh, what I think that not only the provision of higher education will do the work. Uh, what my understanding is, I had a course of higher education as well in my BS degree. Uh, the higher education doesn't only require you to do the text books and the concepts you learn in the classroom. That goes beyond that. And I think all the developing countries in particular need to develop that. Because when you learn outside the classroom that is where uh, where you learn actually because outside the classroom is the real learning and uh, just a flashback to my time that when we used to have the group discussions over the particular research or particular uh, group work that uh, didn't only uh, restrict it to the paperwork we were doing that had different sort of discussions so that is that is the main charisma of higher education that should be inculcated in all the universities and all the institutions giving that because that actually creates the appetite for learning. Not only getting education will uh, like uh, minimize the uh, violent extremism. This is my take on that. And uh, secondly, on the political point of view, uh, as I uh, recall in 2022, Pakistan uh, developed a policy on to counter violent extremism. And uh, as far as I uh, read, uh, it was uh, revamped in 2023. It was decided to revamp, but now as we will be having elections on 8th Feb, they are very near, just almost a week, week to go. Uh, then the government will uh, might be doing working on that because they decided in 2023, I think July 2023, that there should be more consultations within the stakeholders, including youth, 
civil society organizations, government officials, member of parliament, and the other stakeholders, uh, including the minorities and the PWDs, whoever is uh, in Pakistan, the different groups, they would be uh, uh, integrated into that policy discussions. So they would have more comprehensive policy that was also aligned with the national security policy, which came in that in the last government's tenure as well, that was very comprehensive. So uh, for the government point of view, they are working at that as well. And they're also working with some uh, uh, international organizations like ICYF. We, I recall we worked with the ICYF. We organized a conference back in 2019, 2020 that was on uh, violent extremism in Islamabad, Pakistan. So we engaged Ministry of uh, Religious Affairs of Pakistan as well. So government is working on that. Yeah. Mm. Mm, there is a Ministry of Religious Affairs and, and what are they tasked with doing? We actually engaged them to organize a conference to build awareness particularly and to raise our voice through the media channels and through other stakeholders that we need to work on violent, violent extremism nationally and internationally as well. So that was the main uh, core purpose of that. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Any any other contributions from the panel about um, interventions led by the government? Maybe we should also ask about interventions from civil society and youth. Yeah, there are policies that have been framed, uh, like there's the national youth policy and then there's the provincial youth policies. And I don't know the details of the violence extremism uh, aspects of it, but it does cover some some uh, like uh, the topic of extremism, violent extremism, how to combat uh, through youth intervention and how to. And I think there is uh, there is uh, I mean I know for sure that education is like identified as a tool to you know help combat uh, the violence extremism. Um, and then there's participation of the of the INGOs of the local NGOs. Um, the civil society to, you know, help support that cause. Uh, like how Danish mentioned, you know, I was part of that conference as well, uh, where, uh, you know, it was for, it was promoting the role of women in combating violence extremism. So it was, you know, uh, targeting that niche that, you know, is not talked about much uh, in Pakistan. Uh, but that's a significant role of, uh, of of the pop like like women is a big part of the population that can play a very good role uh in you know desensitizing or uh, uh putting down that sensitivity to this whole idea this whole subject uh, so there's definitely role of the civil society that's been played um within the country and then there is interest of the government as well which makes sense i mean if uh, you know if uh, if if the population is 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 you know um, is going ex is going towards extremism, then it's it's counter effective for the government. Uh, so they must tackle it, right? Thank you, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, violent extremist groups are known to target institutions of higher learning to recruit students. What can be done to reduce this? I think that goes again to what Kasim mentioned earlier that this is a developing country and uh, people use them as the people as a resource. And I think students uh, in the higher education who do not have any sort of other exposure are very fragile to that. And I think this is what the extremist groups actually do. To, uh, to minimize that, I think government should make strict policies on that. And the student unions, uh, which were used to be there, they should be there again, because they used to build their capacity uh, for the political gains and for their own uh, um, self um capacity building uh work they used to do that actually so i think student unions should be there they should be developed and uh, the government should put a strict 
uh, margins on that, that there won't be any extremist party or extremist, extremist groups would be reachable. And when they would do that, the people would uh, sit together and discuss different sorts of issues. Because we have seen that there are uh, issues within the cultures. So when they won't sit on the same table, how would they discuss and how would they actually minimize those? So that is my take on that. And one more thing that uh, on the government point, the civil society organizations should be taken as partners by the governments and by their uh, ministries in particular. Whenever they are building policies, whenever they are making decisions, they should take the civil society organizations as partners, but not as beneficiaries of any pressure group in the technical term. In reality, we, the civil society organizations, are there to help the government to build uh, a better environment for the people. So this is what government need, need to understand. I, I am happy that you mentioned the point about student unions being, well, they were essentially discontinued. And you told me why they were discontinued. Tell our listeners, why is it that student unions in Pakistan were discontinued? Exactly what I have mentioned that they were uh, easily reachable by the extremist groups and uh, uh, that is why I mentioned that government should put a strict uh, ruling to that that they won't be reachable by the extremist groups and so they won't get banned again societies and those groups working and uh, sitting together in the universities so they would have a healthy discussion Mm -hmm. When they would have a healthy discussion, they would understand that what are the cultural barriers of uh, this particular culture and how that is uh, similar to us, not mm -hmm. to define the differences, but to have a knowledge about the similarities. So yes. they would be on one page. Yes. Well, well for, for, for added context, listeners may not be aware that student unions were banned because they were they were they were essentially breeding ground and recruiting ground for violent extremist groups in Pakistan. But I hear from you that we should restore these student unions and they need to be treated as partners. Work with them, train them so that they can be a part of the solution. And from the CSA's perspective, we're in our members come from national student organizations and student unions. We take a particular interest in this point that student activism is essentially being muzzled as a response to an issue where really we would want to invite the government of Pakistan to co-create, to collaborate, and to treat student unions, which form part of civil society, as partners not just beneficiaries. Thank you for making that point, Danish. Well, we're coming down and we're coming towards the end of our discussion. A few weeks ago, we had a discussion with students from and, and leaders from Malaysia. And for the first time, we discussed Islamic religious education. And I learned quite a bit about Islamic religious education. And so I want to ask, how can Islamic religious education be used as a strategic tool to combat violent extremism? I guess anybody who is comfortable with that, I mean, it, it, it calls for some creativity perhaps and we to think about it. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I understand the idea. Um, I don't know what uh, you had, you, you discussed with the students and leaders from Malaysia, but like I said, it's, uh, I think every country, like there are, I think 50 plus, somewhere between 50 to 60 Muslim countries around the world, right? Mm. I wouldn't believe that every country could map the same education system. Um, if we talk about Islamic religious education, because of the different dynamics, even though it's the same religion, but the cultural dynamics, the level of education, you know, all of these things, they do matter. Um, 
from the Pakistan's perspective, I feel religion is very like it's very sensitive um, to a lot of people. Uh, you know, they there's a lot of divide between the people as well. Um, so it's you know you have to take it with a grain of salt. I would say um, having those uh, you know ma- having the material from the religion that could help you know combat violence and extremism i think it's it's very important because i personally feel like i've read like different religions that no religion seems to be promoting violence or extremism you know uh, interestingly islam actually means peace mm. you know that's what the word means the word itself so it it sounds very absurd that you know religion that is actually meant peace is promoting violence or extremism i mean this is how it's it's treated right i mean a lot of people perceive it that way uh, so while we speak about the education of people through religion i think it's also like what we discussed initially it's also about you know educating other people to you know have an open mindset and not just be buying into the narrative of the media and you know what's what's been told or what's been shared with them um i cannot speak much about and i haven't really answered your question i've just kind of spun it into another angle yeah uh, because it's like i said it's really difficult to you know um to to implement or find a solution that could you know map onto the the whole country for educating people through religion uh, to combat violence and extremism but i've just given you an insight that you know it's important because if we look into all the religions you know like deeply and closely you will not find any religion promoting you know uh, any extremism and from islam's perspective i've just given an example that the word itself means peace so it probably does not make sense <laughs> at least not to me that you know it could be even if i haven't like read it deeply that it could do something like that right so um i'm sure there there are ways to do it but uh, i i i'm sorry i'm not an expert so i'm not going to go into it uh, very well very well but as an outsider to my mind you know if so i i i get what you're saying about peace yeah to my mind all that needs to be done is um be louder about the truth in the teaching which in its the teaching in itself is a response to the problem if, yeah. if, from from what they explained to me about the good values and the teachings and the life practices about brotherly love and kindness and how you treat your neighbor yeah. that is enshrined in the whole body of teaching of islamic religious education it in itself is a response it would discourage persons you know in every religion there are persons who will try to weave things around to fit their own doctrine and that's how you have different sects and factions coming up about and you know you will need the voice of truth in that space meaning those who hold firm to the core to speak out what that is yes i mean i am a christian and you know very well that people use the bible to do all sorts of things <laughs> and justify all sorts of madness but it will never change the truth and foundation of what we believe so you know um that's that i won't yeah. go any further with that question yeah. i appreciate the sensitivity of it i want to invite you panelists to render your closing remarks in urdu i want you to share with our listeners your your closing perspective on the role of higher education in combating violent extremism in pakistan and then we will come to the end of our 10th episode of the cc fireside chat let's start with khadija uh higher education institutes in pakistan basically pay, uh, plays a crucial role so there are five factors one is counter uh, radicalization education and which providing education that promotes critical thinking tolerance and understanding to counter radical ideologies and the second one is research and analysis conducting research 
on the root causes of extremism and developing strategies for conducting radicalization. Third one is community engagement, which is very important. Actively engaging with local communities to foster a sense of belonging, inclusivity, and social cohesion. And the fourth one is teacher training, which is also very important because teachers are the ones who teach, right? Uh, offering training program for educators to recognize signs of radicalization and effectively, and effectively address them. And the fifth one is promoting diversity and inclusion, creating an inclusive and diverse academ uh, academic environment that respects various cultural, religious, and ethical backgrounds. These are the factors which, are, which is very important when we are uh, thinking about educational institute in Pakistan. These are the factors which play a role in every kind of aspect, just like uh, uh, different kind of culture, which is Pakistan is uh, uh, enhanced in cultural diversity so, and community engagement, which is also uh, a very pivotal point. So these are the factors we have to uh, mainly focus on. Thank you. Thanks, Khadija. Well, well received. You know, we would still love to hear both or either of the remaining panelists render their closing remarks in Urdu. We're doing this because one of the strategic advocacy points of the CSA for our tenure is decolonizing education with a special focus on appreciating local language and promoting the language of instruction as the local language. So um, I don't speak Urdu and will likely not understand what you have to say, but your listeners who are from Pakistan will. And I want them to feel part of this chat through hearing Urdu. So Danish and Kasim, take it away. جو لوگ بھی مجھے سن رہے ہیں میرا ان کے لیے یہی پیغام ہے کہ وائلنٹ ایکسٹریمزم کا آپ کے ریلیجن سے کوئی لینا دینا نہیں ہے تو پاکستان کا جو امیج ہے جو پیسفل ہمارا ایک اور ایک امن پسند جو ہم لوگ ہیں وہ دکھانا بہت ضروری ہے اور وہ صرف پڑھائی لکھائی سے ہی ہو سکتا ہے اور آپ جب کسی بھی دوسرے سے ملتے ہیں کسی بھی دوسرے ملک جاتے ہیں تو ایک اچھے پاکستانی شہری بن کر دکھائیں آپ لوگوں کو پتہ ہوگا جب آپ لوگ خاص طور پر سفر کرتے ہیں تو ہم لائنیں بھی توڑتے ہیں تو یہ چیزیں ہمیں کم کرنی پڑیں گی ہمیں یہ چیزیں بالکل نگیٹ کرنی پڑیں گی تاکہ ہمارا ایک اچھا امیج جا سکے دوسری چیز یہ ہے کہ بہت سارے اختلافات آتے ہیں آپ کے جو ساتھ پڑھنے والے لوگ ہیں جن کے ساتھ آپ اٹھتے بیٹھتے ہیں ہر چیز کو امن امن پسندی اور ایک اچھی شخصیت بن کر اس چیز کو حل کریں نہ کہ کسی قسم کے ایکسٹریمزم میں جائیں کیونکہ یہ ایکسٹریمزم جو ہے پھر کنیکٹ کرتا ہے ہماری شناخت کے ساتھ جو کہ سبز رنگ ہے جو کہ پاکستانی ہونے کا پھر دکھاتا ہے کہ یہ پاکستانی ہے یہ ہے ہی ایسا تو اس چیز کے خلاف ہمیں کھڑے ہونا ہے اور ایک اچھے پاکستانی بن کر ہمیں سامنے آنا ہے بہت شکریہ تھینک یو سو مچ بہن بہت شکریہ بہت <laughs> even though you know a lot of our things are westernized and you know uh, americanized like our culture and it's getting there right so we need to find these opportunities to keep on reviving our culture and language and all of those values that we carry because that is really what makes us unique right um so i'm going to say i'm going to give the message in english and then i'm going to say the same message in urdu because I believe the audience is not just restricted to Pakistan, it's across the Commonwealth, right? So I would like each one of us to understand what I'm saying. So I think very quickly, I would say that uh, education is the way forward. Uh, that's the theme of it. And when you invited me this to this meeting, I was really interested because I believe in it. And I've seen it through my own learning and experience, how I have, you know, transformed over the years. Um, I started in Pakistan, I educated myself there, and then I came to abroad for my further education or higher education. 
and that opened up opened me up for different or other cultures or religions and you know it changed my perspective and it allowed me to accept other people uh with their own unique personalities and their own unique living uh so education is the way forward specifically for people in pakistan i think because it's uh it's a country where you know religion is is widely practiced islam is widely practiced there are other religions you know that exist as well uh to them to all of us the message will be that educate yourself no matter how you know where you find an opportunity it's easy now there's social media there's digital media that you know can allow you to educate yourself and then from the books that you read for your religion for every religion that exists in pakistan read it yourself don't you know uh, rely on somebody else to teach it to you uh because the message is clear just as how you quoted earlier that bible doesn't teach anything things that you know people are doing in the name of bible similarly there are things that people around the world are doing in the name of quran but quran does not teach any of that or islam does not teach any of that so the responsibility really falls on to the young person to educate themselves without you know really uh buying into the narrative of what the media is saying or what the leader is saying or what the politician is saying uh so my message in urdu the same message is that apne andar ek lagan lay education ke liye padhai ke liye taleem ke liye jis bhi tarah se aap kar sake aap online digital media platforms ke through apne aap ko taleem dene ki koshish kare taleem lene ki koshish kare क्योंकि उससे आपके अंदर एक आपको पता चलेगा दुनिया में क्या हो रहा है लोग आपस में एक दूसरे के साथ कैसे रह रहे हैं और वो आपके अंदर काफी चीजें बदलता है आप में बहुत सा ठहराव आता है आप में बहुत सा पेशेंस आता है अगले बंदे को बात करने का बात सुनने का एक मार्जिन मिलता है और दूसरी तरफ ये कि जो हमें दीन की एक तालीम मिलती है दुनिया से या फिर हमारे आस लोगों से उसको कोशिश करें खुद लें कुरान को पढ़ें अगर आप किसी और दीन से ताल्लुक रखते हैं जो भी आपकी मजहब है उसकी अपनी जो भी किताब है उसको पढ़ें ना कि कि आप लोगों से सुने और दूसरे मीडियम से सुने और फिर उस पर अमल करें कोशिश करें उसको खुद पढ़ें खुद समझें और फिर उस पर अमल करें सो इट द सेम मैसेज दर आई गेव इन इंग्लिश बेंजमिन इफ यू वॉन्ट लर्न अ लिटल उर्दू मे बी यू कैड जस्ट यू नो ट्राई गो वर्ड टू वर्ड and it'll teach you a few words in urdu as well i'm just kidding it wasn't word to word it was almost the same message but uh, it wasn't word to word so uh, thank you once again for giving us the opportunity for uh, hosting this platform i wish you all the good luck and uh, i hope this journey continues shukriya danish shukriya kasim shukriya kharija was my absolute pleasure but i i must tell you before we go that the sequel to the csa fireside is coming up in a few weeks and for this particular podcast it will be a think tank led not by me or any exco member but by young people from the commonwealth in their local language entirely it's our strategy to expand the reach of the csa beyond english speakers because that is limited and we are quite aware that the diversity in the commonwealth goes beyond the number of persons who speak english i mean there are millions of hindi urdu swahili speakers that we want to reach so i really am looking forward to giving the microphone quite literally <laughs> to young people who we will also trust to follow our guidelines not to say anything inappropriate you know we're here not understanding and you're here thrashing somebody <laughs> but i believe that the rojak as we're calling it it's a malay word which means you know mixture diversity we think the rojak think tank series will be a game changer in the reach of the csc that depends heavily on the virtual space to reach its constituents you know we can't get 1.4 billion young people in a conference so we have to find ways to maximize on social media and as far as i'm concerned we have not yet exhausted the opportunities 
available through social media. Though to do that, we need money. You know, you need people to manage all these things. But with the little energy we have until money comes, the Rojak will do what we are, you know, seeking to do. So thank you very much. I'm going to end it here. Take care, everybody. Thank you, man. Take care. Thank you, Ben. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ben.